Morning, everyone. Well, welcome to New Life. Welcome to New Life Sunday service. Uh, we exist to glorify God in the gospel of grace. And if you've been with us before, uh, you've probably heard that uh, little statement a few times in the past. And what that means is that God sent his son uh, to die for us, that we might actually be adopted into his family. Uh, my name is Young. I'm a lead pastor here at New Life, and it's my pleasure to uh, bring you the Sunday service and to be with you, uh, worshiping alongside you. Um, I do want to remind you, continue to be hopeful. Um, I know that this isn't the, quite the start of the new year that all of us expected, uh, but please do remain hopeful. Uh, we are getting there. I really believe uh, that we're not too far off. So let's continue to pray for that. Uh, I do want to welcome any newcomers that are joining with us as well. Um, there is a newcomers form that will be shown uh, during the announcement time, and so I'll make uh, that known to you guys. Um, we're gonna go into a time of fellowship. Now, just keeping in mind that you know, this virus is spreading, uh, we want to limit the fellowship time just to the YouTube chat, so do feel free to, uh, I guess, get out your phones and jump onto our YouTube channel. It's youtube.com slash newlifesydney, and you can take part in that chat as well. Um, Today, you might have to do a little bit more thinking. It's a little bit less personal, I guess. But what would you really like to see at our church? When you think about our church, what would you like to see at our church? So I'll give you a few minutes to uh, think about it and then, I guess, to post it in the YouTube live chat. So hopefully, uh, you guys have had a moment or two to write what you would like to see at our church uh, in the live chat. Um, I'm going to take us through our scripture reading. It's in Acts chapter 2. It's a bit of a lengthy one, uh, verses 1 to 47. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 47. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you, then uh, it should be on the screen in front of you as well. Acts chapter 2, and I'll be reading from the CSB. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each, each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was, speaking, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display words in the heavens above, or wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the path of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned to Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We're all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's pray. Uh, Father, when we see the many wonders that come through the book of Acts, we can't help but sit and ponder upon um, the 
things that you've done in the past and the things that you do still. We ask, Lord, that you would reveal these things to us, God, that you would reveal to us what you're already doing here at New Life, what you've done in the past and what you're doing in the present and what you're still to do in the future because we want to be with you on this journey. We want to walk with you. We want to walk along paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So we pray, Lord, that you would open up our eyes, that we might be able to see these things, that you would open up our hearts, that just as the people in Acts chapter 2 did, we might be able to repent and be saved. So Lord, let your gospel of grace come into our hearts once again this morning. We ask for a renewal of grace for our hearts, that we might be able to turn and that we might be able to be saved. Build a new culture here at New Life. Help us, Lord, to seek you and to love you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been uh, in this new sermon series, A Better Life is Waiting, and this is what we're working towards together. As a church, what does it look like for us to practically embody a culture of grace renewal. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you've heard this phrase before, grace renewal. What does it actually look like for us to practically embody grace renewal as a culture? Some of you guys know the ministries that exist at New Life do so as a response to the renewal of grace that we've experienced and the renewal that we wanna continue to seek for other people as well. And the ministries also aid in cultural creation, whether intentionally or unintentionally as well. But this is the year, 2022, when we seek it out with more intentionality. Why do we talk about building a culture here at New Life though? Why is that so important? I mean, do we see great mentions of culture in the Bible? Culture is something that can be quite subtle. I'm sure you'll agree um, as you consider the culture of today. The culture that surrounds us isn't always visible, but it can subvert our Christian faith or in some ways distract us. We saw this pretty strongly uh, last year when we were looking at things like continuous partial attention, you know, things that uh, we consume through the media. These things can sometimes undermine our faith. Sometimes some churches choose to outright ban certain things that are in popular culture around them out of fear that it'll ruin the faith of the impressionable. You guys might have experienced it, you know, growing up in uh, the church that you've grown up in. Now this comes from the belief that the purity and the original intention of Christianity can be somehow preserved by getting rid of everything that seems at first glance to be outside of what they expect. There was a huge rise in uh, this in the 1980s in the United States. Um, it was called Satanic Panic. So a particular book caused people to see everything through the lens of conspiracy theories, where they believed that everything was just Satanism. By the 90s, Satanic Panic had gripped the rest of the world as well. Well-meaning people started banning things that might have been a little bit innocuous, things like Dungeons and Dragons, which is a lot more popular today for whatever reason, certain types of music, even certain instruments like the drums in churches were banned. And this type of culture still exists today. 
moral panic causes people to ban a bunch of things and even withdraw from the world around them. And this, of course, has the unintended consequence of us losing contact with those that we're called to bless by sharing the gospel with. How can anyone hope to evangelize if you just try to create a protective bubble around the Christian culture that you never leave? All of Christianity is contextualized to some degree, though. All of it. All of it participates in the culture around us. The tricky part, though, is how much we actually end up contextualizing. Over-contextualization, it results in us losing the gospel because we bring in the idols of whatever the culture is around us that we're trying to contextualize to. So in our case, it might be the media-saturated culture that we live in today as we seek relevance over repentance. Under-contextualization, though, is also a danger because it also results in us losing the gospel because this results in us bringing in the idols of our former culture, of our old culture. For example, missionary culture, where those that are being reached are forced to conform to usually westernized norms of doing church, of dressing in a certain way, of singing certain songs without the use of certain instruments. Or perhaps for our context, we'd be a little bit more familiar with under-contextualization in a Korean way, where a missionary might force converts in some other nation. You must participate in dawn prayer, or else you're not a true Christian, and insist that this is the path to true faith. Under-contextualization brings in idols that even seem positive. There's no escaping culture itself, though. We all embody culture in some way. This is why it's so important that we actually consider what the culture of new life is. And so it's only through well-thought-out, prayerful consideration of how to do balanced contextualization, balanced culture, that lives can be changed here at New Life. So we can communicate the gospel in a way that can be best heard and received. This is why we seek to build a culture at New Life. I actually remember the first time that someone ever invited me to New Life. This was many, many years ago. Some of you guys might not have been born yet. They sold it to me by telling me, New Life is fun. That's all they said. New Life is really fun. You should come along. At the time, I was in high school, attending my parents' church. It was a small Korean church where everyone spoke Korean, I didn't really understand. My Korean was a lot worse back in that time. I didn't understand the sermons. I didn't understand a lot of what was happening. And because it was such a small church, I had no peers that were my age. Fun was not the first word that came to my mind when I thought about church. And so fun sounded really appealing to me when I thought about the culture that awaited me at New Life. The name even sounded really new. It sounded really fun. Visiting New Life for the first time, it wasn't as though it was just fun though, if it was in fact fun at all at that time. There were particular thoughts that I had about New Life, words that characterized the church for me that, that day when I left. And they were not limited to fun. There were different words that were just swirling through my mind. Culture is a multifaceted thing. It doesn't just rest in one little attribute. 
So when we talk about building a culture here at New Life, it's multifaceted as well. Many parts that we seek to build into this culture. And yet there's one thing that must undergird all of culture here at New Life, everything that we do. And that's grace renewal. A few questions to ponder upon for you as we look forward then. You can see them on screen. What can a culture of grace renewal actually do at New Life? What will it actually do? What are some of the old cultures of New Life that can be renewed so that they give life to people, whereas in the past, it might have actually drained life from them? And what does a culture of grace renewal actually end up looking like for us? So these are questions to ponder upon as we continue on. As you think on these things, let's take a look at what takes place here in Acts chapter two. The people of God are gathered together. You know, you can follow along in Acts chapter two and you might even write it in your Bibles, you know, in the little bylines. Here they are, the people of God are gathered together and then suddenly God does something. What that tells us is without the Spirit's work, there will be no prophecy, no preaching, no mission, no conversions, nothing that happens afterwards in Acts and onwards, no worldwide Christian movement, we wouldn't exist today. Then the word of God is preached. You must know the word in order for it to be preached. And the gospel of grace goes out. What happens then? The people receive it with open hearts. They're very genuine about the way that they receive it. And they seek to respond to this gospel. And that's when an entire change of culture occurs. After this, a holistic picture of the church appears to us in the book of Acts. Now, quite often churches, uh, particularly in the modern day, the people that make up the church as well, we get caught up in one particular part of the church, one particular part of the whole, or one cultural aspect. Whether it's in just becoming absolute experts at welcoming newcomers, whether it's in becoming the premier church when it comes to singing songs, whether it becomes an over-obsession with justice, whatever it might be, we tend to get a little bit pigeonholed sometimes. But what we see here in Acts, we see and agree with what happens here in Acts chapter two for new life as well. When you read Acts chapter two, you don't look at it and you think, is this all there is to a church? No. We look at it and we agree. We center ourselves on the word of God just as they did. This theologian, Herman Bavink, he characterizes the mark of the church in this way as well. Without the word, there will be no church. We saw it in Proverbs 29, 29 18 recently. Without revelation, people run wild. And so we need revelation of the word in order for us to actually have order, in order for us to actually have the church. Jesus gathers his church. It's built upon the teaching of the apostles and the prophets through the Holy Spirit's inspiration. We have that in the word in front of us. We commune together by the word and sacraments. We don't commune together just because we come from the same nation or just because we live in the same locality. We come together and we gather around the word and the sacraments. We're regenerated by the word as it tells us in 1 Peter. We receive faith by it, and then the church is cleansed and sanctified through it. We're called to confess Christ 
through the gospel of grace. Through, it's foundational in that we, the recipients of his word, make up the church, make up the body of the church. But this salvation manifests itself in faith and good works. We don't just rest in our salvation. We move forward in holy living and in spiritual disciplines together. These are the things that can become a part of our culture. Now, how do we actually accomplish this? Surely it takes more than just a cultural shift or a shift of mindset. We're not just minds walking around. We're not just brains that just have these fleshy bodies. Something has to happen. So the gifts that God gives us, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to the church for the sake of our mission here on earth. They're never solely for our benefit. Never. Never ever solely for our benefit. But rather to benefit others. To call people to faith in Jesus. Just as we're blessed to be a blessing as we've looked at in our previous series, Christmas Together. So the cart can't come before the horse. The work of the Spirit precedes the cultural shift and the gifts that enable it. And we see as much here in the book of Acts. Again, God does something. He does something first before the cultural shift happens. The word of God is preached because God does something. He has caused a revelation in the hearts of Peter and the rest of the disciples, and so they can't help but stand up and preach. The people gladly receive the gospel with open and receptive hearts. This is what we're called to do, brothers and sisters. Receive the gospel. And then they seek, not just to hear it, but to respond in repentance and faith and culture changes. What was New Life known for previously? When you first heard of New Life, when you first heard about it, whether it was in PG ministry or whether you were outside of the church and someone told you about it, what did you know about it? Can you think of what New Life is known for now? I've heard various things. I've heard recently that it's a young ministry, that it'll keep on remaining a young ministry as we continue to take intakes of high school graduates, and that families will continue to leave. But is that the case? I've heard that there's a never-ending conflict between KM and EM. It's a fire that'll never go out. I don't know if that's the case. I feel like we get along a lot better than we think. It's just that when we don't think about it too much, we get a little bit angry for whatever reason. I've heard from some people that we have very attractive people and that's apparently what we're known for. I don't know if you've heard that as well. But where are we headed? Where are we headed as new life? What is our culture headed towards? Every church has some sort of culture. There's no church that exists without culture, healthy or unhealthy. But all true Christian culture must be touched by grace in some way. New life specifically though, there exists cultures at New Life that must be renewed and recreated by a culture of grace renewal. I talked about this when we, when we first came together, when I first came to New Life. The old culture makers are gone. We have an opportunity. From our passage, Acts 2, 41 to 42, read along with me. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Look at what made up their culture. This is the culture of the church in Acts. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Our church, indeed every church on earth, is in the process of becoming. None of us are the finished article. This means that the true, full reality of who we are as a church, it's not immediately obvious to us, it's not immediately visible. Please don't seek that out. You will never find the perfect church that matches your every need. If you start looking for it, you will always be church hopping. But it will become more apparent in the last days upon Jesus' return what this church really looks like. But as we continue along, as we hurdle towards that day, as we continue to embody the marks of the church, there's one thing that has to be present within us. There must be unity. We must have unity within the body here at New Life because Christ, the head of the church, is united in the Godhead. Because the people of God have communion together in one spirit. And because without unity, we cannot achieve a renewal of our culture towards a culture of grace renewal. We cannot. We must do it together. Observe with me the church in Acts. This is the church when it's at its best. They're selling their stuff and their real estate and they're dis distributing the proceeds to any who had need. Any who had need, whenever the need arose. Keep in mind, they're not compelled to do this by anyone. There's no rule, there's no membership thing that tells you you must do this. It's theirs to give or to not give. And yet they were so taken by this generous spirit that they didn't consider whether their possessions or their private property were too dear to them. The stuff that they owned didn't own them, as we're a little bit more want to do today. It tells us next, they met daily together. Daily. <laughs> Some of us can't stand to see each other fortnightly, but they met daily together shared food with one another, meeting in different homes, spent time in the temple together. The people that made up the early church, they were characterized by joyful and sincere hearts that praise God, it tells us. They conducted themselves in such a way that the locals favored them. How often do you hear this about Christians? Christians are in the news here in Australia, if you've been reading it. We're not looked at favorably. We do things that are Remarkable in the long, wrong way. We bring media attention upon ourselves and we anger a lot of the general public. What if we didn't do that? What if we did things during this pandemic that made the locals favor us? That made them think, hey, these Christians are all right. As a result, God added to their numbers daily as their presence and witness were infectious. Now notice that each time these things are described, each time the characteristics of this church culture are mentioned, it's said that it's all of them, all of them together. Everyone was filled with awe, Acts 2 tells us. All the believers were together. It's clear that the unity of God 
has resulted in the unity of the church. No wonder culture changed so quickly. What are the things that you dream of for your church, culturally speaking? I asked during the fellowship time, what do you want for our church? And I ask you now, what do you dream of for your church, new life, culturally speaking? Remember, the early church at its best still had its flaws. Let's not romanticize it. It was one, however, that sought to fulfill the needs of others first, to devote themselves to community, to be joyful, and to be sincere and praise God, to be outward focused to the degree that locals gave them love. That's Acts at its best. That's the church and Acts at its best. So dream with me. What about new life? What are we gonna look like when we're at our best? The next three weeks, we're gonna talk about three particular areas of focus that's gonna help us to sharpen ourselves culturally. Though these won't be exclusively what we focus on, they'll either be at the forefront or they'll be continuing to run in the background. Now we can build upon a culture of grace renewal for these areas for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, so often when we think about the church, when we think about new life or the church in general, we think in wholly negative ways. We think about the things that we dislike about our church. We think about the way that we wish church was. But what if we thought about that wish? What if we dreamt together in a positive way? God, you see the church in a very different way. When your son Jesus brings to you his bride and tells you, isn't she beautiful? upon our church with very different eyes from us. You look upon our church at all the potential that we possess through the Holy Spirit. And in fact, you haven't left us alone to try to achieve this potential on our own, but you gave us two amazing gifts. You gave us one another, this church community that we might be able to do this together that when we grow discouraged, that the people around us can encourage us, that when they grow discouraged, that we can encourage them. As iron sharpens iron, so too do we sharpen one another when it comes to the culture of our church. Would you help us, Lord, to build a culture here that seeks to build up rather than to tear down, that seeks rather than the momentary joke or the momentary thing that hurts others, instead looks to build for eternity, something that's beautiful. We want, Lord, for the second gift, more than anything, the gift of your Holy Spirit, to be at work here in our church. We ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will be leading new life, will be the thing that casts us forward, even as we dream, even as we have visions, 
about what our church can look like. It means nothing if it's not your Holy Spirit that's leading us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would refresh our minds, that you would renew us, that you would help us, Lord, to see with clarity what it is that you're doing here, what it is that you've already started. And it's not just for new life, but it's for all of us heaven as well, God. Help us, Lord, to be united, not only here, but to be united with our mother church as well. Be with us, God. Would you give us fresh imagination as we think upon our church? Would you help us, Lord, to see it as Jesus' glowing and beautiful bride? And would you help us, Lord, in the work of cleansing our church, in the work of sanctification in our body, start that with us individually in our hearts, convict our hearts, cut us to the bone, Lord. Penetrate our hearts once again that we might be able to turn to you, that we might be able to turn to one another and say, brothers and sisters, what should we do? And we remind each other, let us confess and repent before our God because he is good, he saves, and there's forgiveness our culture here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.